Today on this edition of the Four City Church Podcast, Eric Parks has part four of the teaching series, Chef's Table. Today's message is titled, Thanksgiving. So what is this series about? What have we been talking about? We've been talking about the best way to live. This idea that there is a way to live that is the best possible way to live. And Chad kicked off the series. He talked about hospitality as a component of generosity. Like when we create long tables, remember he said that he thought maybe Jesus' favorite part of the table was the leaf, right? Expanding the table, bringing people to the table. And then week two, I talked about the idea of moving away from scarcity mentality, right? That sometimes we protect the things we have because we're afraid we'll never get enough, right? That there's this idea, there's limited blessing. And then last week, I had the chance to speak on common sort of knowledge, or, or, or maybe the better way to say it, the way most people live around conventional wisdom when it comes to the inanimate object of money. That the idea that money is just dollars and cents, and it's a real simple concept. You make as much as you can, keep as much as you make, because the more you give, the less you have, and the less you give, the more you'll have. This is conventional wisdom. But we challenge that through a different idea that maybe in God's economy, it's not dollars and cents, it's dollars and seeds. And here's the good news. The best way to catch up, because I know in the holiday season, sometimes getting to church every week can be a real challenge. We put all of our messages on podcasts, so you can go to any podcast platform, so Spotify or Apple or any of the others, and you can catch up with any of the messages, and I encourage you to do so. Because today, I think we it's perfect coming out of Thanksgiving We're handling the final component of a generous life. Because generosity, it just isn't just about money. Generosity is about living a particular way. It's almost like palms up. How do I live this way? And and coming out of Thanksgiving, the reality is there's a reason why we have this holiday. It is such an important element to understand. If you lack gratefulness or thanksgiving in your life, you will never fully live the life that Jesus had in mind. Now, I was thinking about it. What would be ways to have an unthankful life? Oh, I sort of started the opposite. What's like, if, if I were to live a particular unthankful way, what would be components of that life? And I came up with a simple list. And so like, if you want to live a truly unthankful life, let me give you five tips to being truly ungrateful. Number one, tip number one, use social media as much as you possibly can. If you use social media as much as you possibly can, you will either be jealous of people on Instagram or want to kill people on Facebook, right? I mean, that's the way it works. If you use social media as much as you can, you will be a pretty unthankful person. I thought, oh, if you believe life is all about you, you'll be a pretty unthankful person. If you make life about the acquisition of things, you'd probably be a pretty unthankful person. If you only use negative words in conversation, horrible, bad, atrocious, irritating, stupid, if those are your primary words, you'll probably be pretty ungrateful. And then the fifth thing came to mind. And honestly, I think that this fifth thing is probably the key thing. 
if you are constantly distracted and always in a hurry. I want to tell you about the worst Thanksgiving I ever had. It was shaping up to be the best Thanksgiving of all time. Because it was the first year that I decided to really venture out in turkey preparation. Now, as I forementioned, I love the preparation of turkey. This is a three-day project for me. No joke. I actually, if I go all the way back, like this year, it's a two-week project. Because I like to have those turkeys fully thawed, right? A fully thawed turkey is really important. Then I take the turkey, and um, about 48 hours before I get it out, I do all the things you need to do. Then I create a brine sauce. I put it into a brine for 24 hours. I have it sit in the brine. Then I take it out. This is all perfectly timed. All of the week has to be organized around the preparation of my turkeys. So I pull the turkeys out. I pat them dry. I lovingly caress them so that they are perfect. I put them back into the refrigerator I bring them out for the preparation. While I was doing this, um, this was probably about six years ago, and I decided to really venture out. And that year, I was going to fry a turkey. Never fried a turkey. Now, let me tell you, I didn't burn my house down. You think that's where this is going. I did not. But I, I decided to fry a turkey. So because my wife had said, you can't fry a turkey in our house because she watches the video on social media and all the people burn their houses down. She said, you can't fry a turkey. And I'm like, well, what if I can figure out a fryer that won't burn the house down? And she goes, that's fine. You still have to fry it on the front porch. And I said, okay. So I bought one of those fryers that doesn't have a flame. I'd never done this before. Now, this year was a really important year. Our whole family was there. Everybody had come to Colorado. This is when I was living in Colorado. Chrissy's sister, her kids, mom, dad, mother-in-law, father-in-law, everybody was there. Daly was home from school. This is when she was in college. The whole crew. So this turkey, I had been hyping this turkey for literally weeks. I'm like, guys, I'm doing a fried turkey. This turkey's going to blow your mind. This turkey's going to be the best thing you ever eat. So I I plugged the fryer in on the front porch, and it was one of those days in Colorado, similar to what it can be here in Rockford, where you don't know. You might have a perfect day like yesterday, or you might have snowfall, and it might be negative, right? Well, it was a very, very cold day. So I put the fryer on, and I plugged it in, and the oil heats up. I'm so excited. You've got to remember, for two days, all I've been doing is rushing around with turkeys, Right? I've been, all I've been doing is, is turkey, turkey, turkey. I'd hardly had a conversation with anyone because they were getting in the way of turkey prep. And everybody knows the turkey is the most important part of Thanksgiving. So I am prepping, prepping, prepping. I get the turkey. I lower it down in the oil. The whole family came out on the front porch to watch me lower it. It goes into the bubbles and it bubbles. I'm like, I'm frying a turkey. Turkey fries. And, and I go inside because it's cold out. And um, the idea is that I would leave it in for an hour and a half. So I thought, I'll check at the halfway point. I'm inside, rushing around, doing all the things that I was doing. I came out, and I opened the lid, and terror strikes me because the oil wasn't bubbling. I looked around, I'm like, wait, why is, why is the turkey just sitting in oil? It's not cooking. It's not cooking. It's not cooking. I realize, I look at the temperature, it had dropped to like 90 degrees. I could reach my hand into the oil. The turkey is sitting in a pool of oil. It's not cooking. And I realized that this machine that my wife made me get (laughs) 
has a little safety device so you don't burn the house down. Well, I didn't burn the house down. I accidentally kicked the plug and it fell out. It was one of those magnet ones. So my turkey was sitting for an hour in oil. I pull it up and you can imagine it's just like I'm like, what am I going to do? So I turn the oil back on, right? I'm trying to heat it up, but it's freezing outside. It had taken me two hours. So it's slowly, I come in and I'm like, guys, okay, it's going to be a little bit longer than I thought. I'm back outside. I'm just staring. The whole family's have playing cards and having a gay old time, right? I'm over the oil thinking that if I talk to it, maybe it will heat up faster. And it's not... I put it back in the oil. I come back in. Now dinner's an hour late. Everyone's like, Eric, when's the turkey going to be ready? I'm like, not now, <laughs> right? <laughs> I finally get the turkey out of the oil two hours late. I bring it in. I cut it open. The middle of the turkey is raw. It's not cooked. So then I had the bright idea, well, I'll just shave off the cooked parts and put the raw part back in because let's not pretend I'm actually a chef, okay, folks? <laughs> Let's just say that by the end of the day, we were four hours late to dinner. I was furious with the turkey, and I hadn't had a single moment with my family the whole point of Thanksgiving in three days. My wife came over to the sink, and I'm so frustrated. I'm like, well, I ruined Thanksgiving. I'm like, I ruined Thanksgiving. She goes, yeah, you, you did. I went, Wait, this... You're, my, you're supposed to be like, no, you didn't. She goes, no, you did. But not because of the turkey, brah. It's because literally you've been MIA for three straight days over a stupid piece of meat. You know, I think so much about how is it that so often we miss the most important things focusing on, on all the unimportant things, making them the most important things. Can anybody relate to that? Have you ever looked at your life and gone, how did I miss those moments? How is it that I walked out of that moment? And the reality is for all of us, regardless of your temperament, if we're honest with ourselves, the reason why we miss these moments of thanksgiving is because we're busy with all the wrong things so often. You know, Jesus in Luke chapter 17, he has this encounter with 10 men. The Bible tells us about it. He's no longer in Bethany, so he just raised Lazarus from the dead. And so the council, the Jewish council are after him because they're afraid people are going to start believing what he says. And so in John chapter 11, which is the same as Luke chapter 17, he's left Bethany, he traveled to Ephraim, and he's there to escape. And while he's there, the Bible tells us that 10 men come to him. In fact, it reads this way. It says, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered the village there, 10 leopards stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, these men were afflicted with leprosy. And because they were, and it was uncurable at, the, at that time, they were sent into these leper colonies. They were never touched by another human. They never got to see their family. So Jesus comes to town, and these 10 lepers come out, and they beg, Jesus, heal me. And so Jesus says to them, 
He says, now go show yourself to the priests. And they went. And they were cleansed of their leprosy. The Bible tells us that these ten men were given a second chance. And yet, here's what's interesting. If you notice, of the ten in Luke chapter, seven, in Luke chapter 17, only one returns to say thank you. Now, nine of them were Hebrew. They were from Israel. But one was Samaritan. And it was the Samaritan, the foreigner, who slowed down enough to move back toward Jesus after he gave them their life back to say thank you. And I don't know why. Well, maybe it's because they wanted to get back to their life, which I get, like they've been in a leper colony. But it's interesting because scholars will tell you that when Jesus in Luke chapter 17 says, rise and go, your faith has made you well, when he's talking to this one Samaritan, what scholars will tell you is that the word faith is probably better translated to gratitude. So your gratitude's made you well. You stopped for a minute to be in this moment. You are now whole. This is why the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Be grateful in these moments. There's a book called A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. William Law wrote it. It's an 18th century classic. But listen how he describes thankfulness. He says, would you know who is the greatest saint in the world? This is a question. Would you know? He says, it is not who prays the most or fasts the most. It is not he who gives the most time or the most eminent for temperance or chastity or justice. But it is. He who is always thankful. You see, in our culture, we suffer from what, I, what could be referred to as hurry sickness. The reason why we have an inability in the big moments and the small to recognize moments and be truly grateful is because I think as a culture, we suffer from an inability to be in any moment for very long. Like, our attention span is crazy, crazy short. Think about it. We struggle with hurry sickness. Like, we'll buy anything that will shave off a little bit of time. We have phones that hit us instantly. It's funny, my children, all they know is a device. And to watch them get frustrated when something doesn't load. Anybody else ever had this with a kid? It literally hasn't loaded in three seconds. And I'm like, bud. That signal is going to another signal, up to outer space, and shooting back down. You can give it more than three seconds. Like, we are such a hurried people. We move from moment to moment, unengaged, so often. You know, the number one selling shampoo for the longest time, I think it actually still is the number one selling shampoo, is a shampoo that saves time. Right, it, Cut out the need for conditioner. Put shampoo and conditioner in one bottle. You put it in one bottle, and then you don't have to spend the time conditioning your hair. We have high-speed internet and fast passes. This is how it works in our culture. And I'm absolutely sure that the reason why we don't see gratefulness abounding in our world when it should, 
We are the most blessed people that the world has ever seen from a financial standpoint. The most blessed. And the reason why we're not grateful is because I think we speed through everything. We're hurried. We're hurried even in slow moments. You know, 40 years ago, we believed that hurry at work would actually create more leisurely life outside the workspace. In fact, Time Magazine noted that back in the 1960s, there was expert testimony given to a subcommittee of the Senate on time management. <laughs> a subcommittee on time management. I had no idea. But there was expert testimony. And do you know, this is what was said, or the essence of it was that because of the advances in technology, within 20 years or so, people would have to radically cut back on how many hours of work that they, were, week that they worked, or how many weeks a year that they worked, or else they would have to start retiring early. Anybody seen that come true? No? The great challenge, they said, was that pe what people would do with all their free time. Oh, we've figured out how to become more productive and just keep going. This is what we do. We're hurried all the time. We're touch and go. We say not now. We're not fully engaged. And this is how John Ortberg, a Rockford son, says it. He says, hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life in our day. Hurry can destroy our souls. Hurry can keep us from living well. And, and for City Church, this is my biggest concern for all of us. Coming out of Thanksgiving into a season that will be marked by hurry, right? We are on the doorstep of crazy. I'm so worried that we may never grasp what Jesus has for us because we may never be fully present where he is. That we never fully grasp what he has. That we're never fully alive, never fully thankful, never fully grateful because we cannot live in any moment long. It is our condition. You know, in Jesus' day, Rabbis would have an interesting perspective. And, and there's this great story in Exodus chapter 24 that highlights this God of the universe that understands our propensity for hurry. Because here's the reality. It's not just a modern problem. It's a people problem. You see it with the ten lepers. You see it all the way back to Exodus. When Moses is being invited to come up and talk to, to God. In, in Exodus chapter 24, it says this. It says, the Lord says to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I'll give you tablets of stone with the laws and commands that I've written for their instruction. Now, if you look at how the translators describe this, they use the word in Hebrew, hayayah, which actually means to exist. So if you were to read it the way that it was written, that verse would say, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and exist here. He says, Moses, come up here and be here for a minute. See, God knew 
that if he didn't ask Moses to exist with him for a minute, that Moses would do what we do. We would climb to the top of the mountain, we'd look around for a minute, and then we go, okay, cool, where's the next mountain? Where do I have to go next? Where's next? This is not just a modern problem. This was a Moses problem. And what God's trying to help Moses see is you're missing the whole point. Like you get to come up to the mountain and you get to be with me and all you're thinking about is the next mountain that you're going to climb. He says, Moses, listen, just come over and be here with me. Just exist here. Just live in this moment for a minute. I think some of the richest times we've ever had as a family, and I bet if you were looking at your life at moments where you really felt connected to people or God, it was less about what you were doing. It was the fact that you were together and fully in that moment. A stupid card game. Maybe it was Edward's apple orchard. Going to William's tree farm to cut down a tree and everybody's freezing, but you're still there. The problem with our lives is that too often we're just achieving and going and getting and grabbing. And because we're grabbing, we're never fully just in moments. And I think this is why when you see in Matthew chapter 19, you watch Jesus with children. You notice in chapter 19, in verse, in, uh, I think it's verse 13, there were some children that were being brought to Jesus. And here's Jesus. He's the most important person on the planet. He has plenty to do, like save the entire human race, right? Here is Jesus, the most important man that's ever walked the face of the earth. And here he is saying, hey, why don't you bring some kids to me? And his disciples are so annoyed because they're like, Jesus, why we, have, why we bring a bunch of kids around? What do you do? We have important things to do. Look, we left our jobs to follow you, not to play with kids. Why are you doing this? And I think there's a reason why Jesus loved so much to be around children. And the best way I can describe it is describe a moment that happened at my house just recently. I have three nieces, twins who are four, and then a six-year-old. And I'm Uncle Eric. And um, I did buy their affection. American girl dolls go a long way. But they love me. So they had come over to the house, and I had grabbed one of the girls, and I had picked her up on the couch, and I flew her in the air, and I dropped her on the couch, and she starts laughing while her sister comes over. She goes, okay, now do me. So I grabbed her, and I throw her up in the air. And then her bigger sister comes over, and she goes, now do me. And so I throw him in the air, and I'm about to go back to the kitchen, and I feel a tug. She goes, Uncle Eric, do it again. I'm like, okay. So I do it again. And then the, do me. And I do it again. Do me. And I do it again. And I start to leave it like, do it again, Uncle Eric. I spent 15 minutes. It's the best workout I'd had in six weeks. Which might say something about my workouts. This is a kid, right? Children, man, when they get in a moment, they have no problem just go, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. In fact, G.K. Chesterton, he's this 
author who wrote this book called Orthodoxy. He said it this way. He said, because children have an astounding vitality because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in sun. Is it possible that God every morning says, do it again to the sun? And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic. It may be that God makes every daisy separately. Every sunrise, he says, do it again. I think for us, coming out of Thanksgiving, heading into the busiest season we will head into, how do we as people learn how to live in a moment, to exist in a moment. Because the truth is, thankfulness is born out of that. It's not just cheap words where you go, oh, thank you very much. No, no, no. Thankfulness and gratitude is born out of the ability when you and I are able to, in a moment, sit in it, live in it, and just say, do it again. To be fully present And I thought, like, what would that look like for us? Like, this simple idea. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's... Maybe when your kids are begging you to play and you're really, really tired and you had the longest day ever, they're like, Dad, Dad, come on, let's play, let's play. You're like, okay, let's play. When when your wife says, Hon, let's watch a documentary or some period show on Netflix that's in another language that you're like, sure, hon, let's do it again, right? Maybe it's someone in this church that asks for a little bit of time and you just sit with them for a little bit and then you give them a little bit more. Maybe... It's seeing somebody that wants to ask for some time. And you tap them on the shoulder and you say, hey, are you okay this season? See, thankfulness so often we think is just these words that we speak. But this isn't the art of grateful living. The art of grateful living is to be so thankful for the breath that God has given you that every moment you have, you live in it. Fully alive. Feet where they are. Not worried about what comes next. This moment. And is it hard? Absolutely. Because we have been conditioned to go, to run, to accomplish, to get, to accumulate. God says, no, 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 no. Just exist in this space, in this moment. You know, every time that we're tempted to just brush by people or skim through situations to evade emotionally and physically investing, I'm praying that God will remind you that the best moments are lived in this moment, not the next. The best moments are lived in this moment, not the past. The best moment is this one because this is the moment. This is what we have. 
You say, oh my gosh, I came to church for that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, if we put three practices into our life this month, you might see thankfulness and presence go up radically. Three simple practices that I'm going to invite you to join me in. And it's simple. Some of you already are going to disqualify yourself. But I'm going to say, if you started this next month with a little journal, you can call it a thankfulness journal or a presence journal. And listen, some of you fellows in the room, you're like, I don't write my feelings down. That's a journal. That's for babies, right? No, 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 no. Listen. I'm telling you the trajectory of your day changes fundamentally when you start your day and you just write down some things in the morning that that day you're grateful for. And maybe it's one. And maybe the only thing you're grateful for is that you actually had breath in your lungs to get up out of bed. Okay, write it down. Watch what happens in 30 days. Guaranteed, guaranteed, your list will be so long by the time you get to Christmas, you won't believe how blessed you are. And when you start to look at it, you will not be able to help but be grateful. You will have pages filled with all that God has done for you. And you'll look at it and go, oh my goodness, look at what he's done. Look at my life. I'm alive. Look what it, look how he's how he's using my life. Second thing, and this one's gonna be tough for some of you. Maybe you should fast your phone for the month of December as much as you can. Look, I'm not on a war with social media. I whatever. Do what you gotta do, but sometimes I play a game just waiting to see who will be in a waiting room the first or the last to go to their phone. Do it sometime. Because I'm telling you what, nobody likes, we don't know what to do with ourselves in those spaces. And if you're waiting in line at the grocery store, what do we do? I don't even know what you're looking at. There isn't that much news to consume, right? There's just not enough. But this is what we do. We go and we're here. First thing you do in the morning, guaranteed, most of you, reach over and check your phone. Right? I did it this morning. It's not December yet. But December, I'm going to try to change that rhythm. I'm going to wake up in the mornings and do a little journal, and I'm going to fast social media. I'm just not going to be on it. I'm not going to look at what everybody else is doing. I'm just not going to do it. And I wonder what it would look like if you joined me. And then third, there is this great book by an author named John Mark Comer. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And it's all just practices to eliminate hurry so that we can fully experience life. And maybe you pick one of these three things. It's just the journal. Maybe you go pick up this book. Uh, Maybe you fast, maybe social media for a week. Either way, What we're trying to do is eliminate all of the hurry so that we can learn how to live in this moment. This, I'm telling you, is the key to generous living. It is the key to thankfulness. It is the key to really, really understanding what God has in mind for you. Will you stand with me? And we're going to start the practice now.
This song is one of my favorite songs. It's about inviting the Holy Spirit into a moment. Like making room. The truth is, all we're really doing is trying to make room for thankfulness. Because all you need is a little bit of space in your hurried day to realize what God has done for you. And I'm telling you, you will be overwhelmed with gratefulness. You'll see that your life has meaning and purpose. That you're not here by accident. That God has a plan for every single step that you've taken. But I think the enemy just uses hurry in our lives to keep us distracted from the reality that you are a beloved child of God. And he looks down and he is so proud of you. That he is so, so pleased that he has these plans to prosper you, not to harm you. And the hurry keeps us distracted. So in this moment, what I'm going to invite all of us to do is to start the practice just of making a little bit of space and maybe as you're singing reflecting reflecting on this idea God what have you done in my life lately that I haven't been thankful for and saying thank you you've been listening to Eric Parks with the message Thanksgiving which is part four of the series, Chef's Table. Thanks for listening.